0: Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan, additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. What's happening guys? Happy Tuesday! And thank you for joining another special episode of your welcome. I'll tell you we had a great weekend of fights from San Antonio. Guys, did we forget how good Corey Sandhagen is? I know I did. Anyways, coming up on today's show, you remember that conspiracy about Islam Makhelchev and the IV? Well, it turns out there's some truth to all that. I got that story today, plus George Masvidal is fighting next weekend. He just went on Joe Rogan's podcast and made some interesting comments. I'm going to get to those things and much more on today's show, but I want to begin here. Rumor on the underground, the kids are saying it's going to be Paulo Costa. Versus Chimayev. Now, you've heard that. that. That's been going on for a while, right? Those guys, bit bantering, have been going back and forth. We get Dana to weigh in a little bit, which says Chemayev's next fight will be at 185. That's a big clue, and that's one that we needed. We get Dana to specify just a little bit more, say I believe it'll be against a top three guy. Now, top three guy doesn't have to mean a guy that's ranked one, two, or three. That's a, a little bit of a broad stroke, but it means the absolute upper echelon. And some guys, even if you give them a ranking, they're even. I mean, they just are, right? You look at some rankings, you go, okay, who should I put here? Should I put him three or four? And you're like, man, these guys are dead even, and you go with one. They used to have this in school, and when you ran into that situation, you had to go in alphabetical order. I mean, right, sometimes we do understand that. But let's try to break that down. I did a poll on my YouTube page. I got well over 100,000 people very quick. I mean, snap, snap of your fingers. And it was overwhelming that you, the audience that participated in this poll, want to see Paulo Costa versus Jamiah more than Jamiah versus the field or Paulo versus the other likely suspects, fine. But let's say you're gonna do that, okay? Both of those guys are pretty talkative. I don't remember a time I heard them talking about each other. I just don't. I know the organic video. I know where this would make a level of sense. I know where you could go from here. What I don't know where would you put them? If you're going to put Jemaya versus Paulo Costa, where would you put them? That could, so that you understand, main event a pay-per-view, but they won't put them there. They, ju- they just won't. That's a spot that's reserved for something else. It's reserved for Red Panty Night, by example. It's, it's reserved for world championship matches, but you could And I believe if you're going to have those two fight each other, you should maximize it within a five-round frame. So where are you going to do it at? I haven't heard an announcement of an ABC show as of late. Put in perspective for you. uh, That is where Rodriguez took on... Well, it's where Rodriguez got the armbar over Ortega. You could back up further from that. It's where Max took on Calvin Cater. That was the name I was looking for. I share this with you because I haven't heard of one of those coming up. So, I, and I don't I don't believe with any part of my being, and not, neither do you, that we're going to get it on free TV. So if we do go a pay-per-view and we're not going to go a main event, we're probably talking a co-main spot. Furthermore, we're talking about 15 minutes. 15 minutes versus 25, that's a very a different matchup. Now, let's say that you do that. Awesome fight, let's say that you do that, but then what do you do with Robert Whitaker? Where does Robert go? And 185 is in such an interesting position right now. I feel stronger than ever that it needs to come out and be stated and clarified. As it pertains to Whitaker and Piera, this is it. They're never fighting again. The score is settled. All of it. If, if, if Adesanya comes in and grabs his first victory, the other four, they're gone. They're all gone. Everything's gone. This is, I feel like we really gotta make that clear that we're not going to fall and that we're not going to go back and forth. I think that Pierre is in a very interesting spot. And if Pierre is the head of that division, I mean, you just opened the door to contendership. It's a very hard scenario to see where Robert Whitaker is going to get a world title fight again. Well, that's when Izzy was on top of the bill. That'd be a completely different matchup. You talk about Paul Acosta, and, and of course, Chemayev is new and fresh blood, and if they're going to move him up, they're going to do it this quickly, and he is completely undefeated, it would seem as though whatever he does next, whether it's this Paul Acosta idea or not, whatever Chemayev does next, it would seem as though it's a number 1 contenders match. And if you did look at the matchup of Chemayev versus the skills of Pierre or the skills of Adesanya, it starts to get pretty interesting, Right? And before you go, you could go out and take him down. It's a wrestler versus a striker. Yeah, I, Okay, fair enough. That's what history would say. But Yoel Romero might share for you a different side of that. How hard it is to take Adesanya down. How hard it is to keep him there. I mean, j- just for fun, I'm just throwing these things at you. And I feel like these guys have really got to get to work quickly. So I feel as though Robert Whitaker is in a, a really keen position. If the hardest guys around you and the hardest guys in your division... For the hardest work you can do that have the greatest likelihood of derailing you from your dream of knocking you off course, if they can get matched up with each other, it keeps you free. That's a win. Those are some of the games that you need to play. It's not just about getting yourself matches. It's not just about positioning where you go. It's also positioning them to knock somebody out and eliminate them. If you we're having a hard time getting Paulo Costa to agree to a certain fight. The time that you would do it, and I use Paulo as an example because we're talking about him here, but, but for absolutely anybody, the time that you would do that is the time that you give him a new contract. Whatever match you think is going you're going to get met with the most resistance, that's the one that you would do at the time of the new contract, when everybody's happy. When everybody's happy, and everybody's green, and everybody's smiling, and everybody's taking pictures for Instagram, that's also where you give the news of, here's who your next opponent is going to be. The guy's happy, he's high on life, he's signing away. And I've got to remind you, twice, we thought we were going to get Paulo Costa and Robert Whittaker, And that was the thing. I remember when Khabib and Tony fell apart and it was five times. It was just a match that couldn't be, but that that talk would never go away. That talk always stayed hot. That one never really surfaced. People were not just dying and demanding and itching to say that. The guys were not just calling each other out. They weren't looking for it. And, And I'm seeing the same thing here, which am I of Apollo Costa, but what does it mean? Does it mean that they both recognize that's really hard and I hope that I get to go do something else? Or does it mean that they've already agreed upon it? And so... They're doing the obligatory keep-my-mouth-shut before the artwork and the announcement comes out. That's anybody's guess. But I came to you guys. I asked who you wanted to see. You made it pretty clear. And I'm with you. Paulo Costa versus Chimaev. But where are you going to do it? Let's talk Mazdao. Mazvedal's been very busy in the media lately. Went over, did the Joe Rogan program, put out some interesting statements, some stuff that's kind of stuck with us. And and I gotta tell you, one of the things that was most interesting to me about him going and doing the Joe Rogan program, that's in Texas. He lives in Florida, and he has a fight in three weeks. I, I just share with you, a little bit uncommon to travel for a media opportunity. When you have a fight coming up. And by the way, I had to do it all the time. I want to make sure I uh, explain the distinction for you. He lives in Florida. The fight is in Florida. So like when I fought in uh, Texas, by the way, I live in Portland. Yes, I had to leave. I had to go to Texas. I had to do media. I would come back. And it's just a little bit different. And I was surprised by it. what else surprised me? I enjoyed that entire program he did with Joe. I watched it three days ago. This isn't fresh. Found out today he's fighting in three weeks. Now, in all fairness, I knew he was fighting. I knew he had Gilbert Burns. I knew that was coming up. I didn't know it was in Miami, which is massive news. I didn't know it was in three weeks. So, oh, I got my partners holding up two fingers right now. It's in two weeks. Even strengthens my point. I'm not giving anybody a hard time here. I'm making an observation, okay? I have attempted to explain many times. A lot of the interworkings that goes on with athletes that do this work, they're rare. They're rare, right? I mean, think of all the kids you went to school with. Did you go to school with anybody that does this? And for those of you that said yes, that went to school with Colby, something along these lines, that's the only guy you got. You didn't go to school with two guys that do this. It's a rare thing. And one of the rare things about it, there's no home court advantage. It's home field disadvantage in MMA. And that's where Miami comes into it, right? Because Gilbert Burns also lives in Florida, but it's different. He's not representing Florida. When you speak to him, he represents Brazil. He does not walk out there with a headband of the of Florida state mascot on it. He walks out there in a Brazilian headband, and it's a little bit different. George Mosvitol, who could not be a prouder Cuban, puts Miami first. So I'm just, I'm just bringing this to you that there's a lot on it because I tell you all the time. It's not an advantage. It's a disadvantage. And then what happens? And promoters do miss this one. They'll take a big star in an area and they'll put them in a local card. And over time, not only does that work, goddamn, you can't build a business if you don't do that. You have to do that. You got to bring local talent in and put them right there where the event is going on. But over time, you get distracted with the full formula, which is not what I just stated, hard stop. It has to include that they have a favorable matchup. You don't ever have to talk about that. You don't ever have to admit that. You have to know that it includes that. And this just got tested, guys. We had Nate Diaz versus Chimaev, And all of a sudden, you're looking around going, did nobody hear me? I said, it's Nate versus Chamaev. I said, tickets are on sale. Go, go. Hey, how many tickets did we sell? Did no one hit, is this thing on? I said it's Nate versus Shabana. We just went through this. It was a twelve to one spread, and all of a sudden you fight right. It, 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 all of a sudden you find out that your hero has also got to be favored. If you're trying to invoke the formula where all sorts of attention comes, and it's it's a very interesting situation. There is extreme pressure. I mean, if you if you are the baddest dude in your town. And you're taking on a dude from town. I mean, you see the problem? People aren't going to view you differently. Masvidal doesn't have to win this to not have egg on his face. Of course he doesn't. We know how tough Gilbert is. But Masvidal thinks he does. Right? It's not us. It's not us that's putting pressure on Masvidal. He put it on himself. And that's just what happens when you fight at home. That same pressure he has, Gilbert doesn't have, even though Gilbert lives right here. It's different. It's, he's representing something. It's just It's different. I just want to bring it to your guys' attention. I, mean, I think there's very good reason. Two of my favorite fighters are fighting each other in what turns out to be two weeks. I watched an interview with 50% of that equation. And I did not know that they're fighting in two weeks. And moreover, I did not know that it was in Miami. I did know that those two were competing. I mean, right? Like that was in the back of my head. I didn't know it was in Miami. Those are big details. How come those weren't told? How come I didn't know that? How come you guys didn't know that? How come maybe you heard it was a while ago, but you haven't heard it recently? How come it didn't come up on the Joe Rogan program? And the answer, so you know, is because of this pressure that I'm speaking about when you're fighting at home, and that is not an advantage. I mean, it's an interesting thing, and there's a lot of moving parts. You would be stunned at what a fighter would look at and then would get in his head. It really, it really would. St- you tip your head and go, really? You guys remember Bernard Hopkins? I mean, when you want to talk about the greatest boxers ever—and I mean ever—you go look at the resume of Bernard Hopkins. It will flat stun you. It will stun you that when you talk with colloquials about the greatest boxers ever, they'll bring up Tyson and Ollie, Fury, Mayweather. They won't. They won't mention Hopkins. Go look at his record. And one thing about Bernard is he was a little bitch, and I don't say that in a bad way. He liked to bitch. He liked to put himself in that position of being a victim. He was constantly complaining. But that, that was the right spot for him, where people were mistreating him and they were abusing him. Even when it wasn't happening, that is a spot. That is where he would put his mind, since so we would bitch a lot. There's a poster that came out. He's getting ready to fight Oscar De La Hoya. a poster came out. And on the point, you got to put somebody and then you got to put the other guy. Well, they did, but they put Oscar first and they put him second. He was the champion. He was pissed. I never heard of such a thing. I was a fighter and I didn't know that that was a thing. I never put any thought into any poster that's ever been made. Bernard brought this up. Why are you putting him first? Why are you putting him bigger? And when it comes to placement of the card, you have a gentleman who's the reigning champion. The reigning BMF champion. Fighting at home. Who is the second biggest star in the sport, right? I don't know if he loves it when I say that he's second. I mean it as a compliment. You got McGregor. What are you going to do, right? A brick falls on your head. What are you going to do? Not main event in his hometown. And the two guys that are, aren't from there. It's interesting. It's an interesting spot. You you, you got to know where you're at. Maslow made a statement. He said, I won't be anybody's stepping stone. And I fully understand that sentiment, but you never know when that's happening. Right? The whole world, there's a couple of things that you'll be the last one to know. We'll decide. We try to tell you in a way, but if, if you don't hear it, you don't hear it. Every single fighter who retires from this sport was done at least a year before that, and we all knew it. They were they were the last one to know. And that's just a that'll just happen again and again and again. Like that's never going to go away. It's, it's, it's one of these things. But the same thing goes with stepping stone. You never know when you're gonna be. You didn't try to be, you didn't mean to be. But what happens with the shine you've got if you pass it to somebody else, right? I mean, it's 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 one of those really precarious spots. And the problem with fighting Gilbert Burns that everybody has. Everybody has this same problem. Gilbert is awesome, but doesn't let people know. We know it because we know what we're looking at. So fellow fighters, we look at Gilbert Burns and go, oh my God, this is going to be a tough night out. I don't know where to beat this guy. I can't just go out jujitsu him. I can't just go out wrestle him. I can't just go out strike him. I can't just get him tired and make him quit. Like none of those things happen. Maybe I can beat him, but I don't know how. I'm just going to have to go... I'm gonna, the whole bit, right? I mean, that's what Gilbert Burns is. But when Gilbert Burns comes and talks to me, he doesn't demand that respect. He'll come in, he'll be humble. He'll be nice. He'll be polite. He'll shake hands. He'll bow. He's, a nice, he's awesome, but doesn't tell people he's awesome. So now of a sudden you really up against it. Perception is reality. What happens if I lose to a guy who doesn't have a certain perception? It's tough you can stumble fast in this sport. You keep your eyes open at all times. You got to be watching what's going on at all times. And you, if you get put in a co-spot, there's still stuff you can do, right? Okay. Well, there's, there's a championship match. Sure. Sure. They're going to go after me. Well, champion yourself, but your belt's not on the line. All right. I I get it. It's a co-spot, but there's still things you better do. You had better be number one in media. You had better be number one in the headlines. And when you come through that curtain, you had better get the loudest pop. Now, if those things aren't done, to hell with it. You could be sitting there having a Coke and a nacho watching the last guys come out if they aren't getting the same roar that you were. But there's a lot of pressure on it. And none of this is new to Masvidal. He knows all the things that I just said. But you didn't know. You didn't fully know what he's up against. I think it's an interesting element that you likely wouldn't know. No home field advantage in this sport. It's a disadvantage. I caught a segment that George Mossbrawl had done. And George was asked if he would box Jake Paul. And George said, no, that's over. That's over. There's, there's, there's no momentum. The spotlight's not on that. that. That's not a thing anymore. I did not just quote George Mosvall. But that's that's what he said. I'm, I'm, I'm getting you the message very accurately. Is he right? Is George right? That was interesting to hear him say that. Jake just lost a fight, but George just lost a fight. It's not as though that would disqualify him, particularly coming from the author of the statement, which was George. Like he's not going to say a guy that lost his last fight is is over with. He he did, so that's not what that was. Jake Paul has done everything. Not only has he done it right, he's done it perfect. I I can't point, I can't point to a mistake he's made aside from when Will Flurry skipped the press conference. They should have cut him. Right there, they should have ended the fight and brought in Mike Perry. That Aside from that, it's been perfect. Even things that I haven't seen before. Things that are going to be experiments. Things that I've sat back and questioned. eh, I don't know if he's doing that right. You wait a month. You look back at how it came out and go, Jake had that right. I say that because Jake has chose since his fight with Fury to take his oars out of the water. Stay kind of quiet. As a matter of fact, the first thing that I've heard on Jake is when George made this statement, which is why I'm now looking at it and thinking about that. Is he right? Did, did, let me give you guys a quick example. Did you watch Mike Tyson come back? When Mike Tyson fought Roy Jones, did you watch him come back? They did huge numbers, 1.7 million Wrong ideas to the, the folks that put that on. Like they thought, okay, we did something right. We must have looked at this number and you go, no, st- You gotta look, this was a mess. You just did a beautiful number. Take the good, throw out the bad. Didn't work that way. But Mike never fought again. Mike didn't fight again because we, the 1.7 that bought that, were not looking to see how old men would do. We weren't looking to see old men box. That's not what sold that. We were looking to see, can he come back? Can he do it? Can he get in shape? Can he make that walk? Can he deal with the nerves? Can he go the rounds? Can he do it? And once we had that answer, we were satisfied. Do you remember Bill Goldberg? Bill Goldberg came through wrestling at a time when wrestling needed him. WCW, and he was undefeated. I can't remember what the streak was, but we're talking 60 and O. but it, it was a really big deal, the O. And as soon as Nash stopped the O, things changed. There was something about the undefeatedness more than the spear, more than the performance, more than the walkout, more than the spit, but more than the water. I didn't know that at the time. I was a young guy, I didn't know that at the time. I didn't realize how important that O was until when it ended and they quit doing it. And I'm just asking you, as it pertains to Jake Paul, is that what this experiment was about? How long can he keep the O? What level of competition can he move up through until the O is gone? I must tell you, I saw it different than George. I thought it was helpful. I thought it was a very helpful thing. I thought that Jake looked so good against Anderson Silva, who's a much bigger man, that it would actually damage perception for Jake versus Nate. And then when Paul went out and he lost and he showed that he was a human being and he showed that there's ways to beat him, he shows if you understand the game, all of a sudden I was very interested again. That was me. That was me. I'm now hearing from George Masvidal who's a fan just like me, who's had experiences just like me, that he came to a very different opinion. So I'm just asking you guys, is that what it was about? Is the reason we haven't heard from Jake because that experiment's over? And there's other options, right? Like like Jake wasn't planning to stay in boxing. He's already made it very clear that he's going into MMA. Did the press release and the PFL and a pay-per-view. I mean, this whole thing, the Nate Diaz and the back and forth, and can we get something done? It's not as though Jake wasn't planning to move on. I'm asking you, is he being forced to? Did you lose interested in Jake competing and Jake boxing after the Fury match? I mean, it's it's one of those things you would generally parlay, you would generally move things forward. Fury's done a grand total of nothing with it, right? I mean, Fury goes out there and gets a win. He's done nothing. He's done no interviews. He's called nobody out. Nobody's called him out. I mean, you got to do these, you're dealing with children here these fighters have the mindset of small children. You have to to get the applesauce on the spoon and get it into their mouth or they they wouldn't know to eat. So Fury's done nothing with it, but I do look at Jake and he hasn't done a lot with it either. And maybe that's a strategy. Maybe it's another strategy. It's another thing that he's going to get right. But Masvidal suggests that it's not that he's waiting. It's not part of a strategy. That in fact, that's over. That he's moving on. He's going to do something different. And sometimes the story isn't what you think. You may not have known that about yourself until I just said it as it pertained to Mike Tyson. You did not need to see Mike Tyson, and you did not need to see old men, and you did not need to see how far he could go. You needed to see his comeback. The same thing went with Goldberg. It wasn't about how many arenas can they fill and how pe- how long can they keep this gimmick going. It was about the streak and the zero, apparently. And Mosvital suggests with just one loss that the Jake Paul experiment is over. Guys, there was this day, and I'm trying to recall the year, but there was a time, and you've got to understand, you guys know Joe Riggs, Joe Diesel Riggs. Joe Riggs is as is, is much of a tough guy as there's ever been a tough guy. He came through the UFC, but he, he did something before that. I want to see maybe he was even into weightlifting. Then he had to get his weight under control. So he, he covered a whole bunch of weight classes all the way down to 170. He's overdoing bare knuckle to this day. But just hold the thought, Joe Riggs. And one thing about Joe Riggs is his background. He was very good at boxing. So Joe Riggs gets drawn in against Stockton's own young man named Nick Diaz. So they go out and they, they have this fight. And I remember this wasn't a huge fight. Like the world wasn't all talk about it, but I was. I was counting down the days. I was telling my friends, and I remember so much expectations were put on Diaz. And I was telling people kind of the other side. Where I go, yeah, yeah, but they're going to stand up. They're going to trade a lot. And this is what Riggs does so well. Like this is a really good fight. Keep your eye on. It. I was having a hard time getting people on board. Fight happens. It's awesome. They end up in the hospital. So they go to the same hospital, but they're separated. You know, when you leave that octagon, things things are done. And particularly in my world, I came from a wrestling background. They will make us, per the rules, shake hands before and after. And there's just something that happens when you shake hands. There just is. Even if you don't want it to. If you shake that there's just something that stays there and is resolved. All right, hold that thought, because these guys have left the octagon. They go to the hospital. Somehow, Nick Diaz is getting... Nursed, he's getting he's getting wheeled in the hospital gurney past Joe Riggs, who's hooked to an IV. This is the basic setting. Nick is not done with Joe. This is the first time he sees Joe, so he's gonna go finish this with Joe right now. Now that even involves pulling the IVs out of his arm so that he could get off the gurney so that he could get to Riggs. And Joe Riggs isn't what you would consider Mr. Stable. Right, I mean, when you get in those situations, one person has to be grounded while one being the live wire. Right, you understand those things. Riggs isn't the guy that you can count on to stay in that bed and be the grounded one. Okay, this was so classic and legendary. And fortunately, it it all got broken up. But apparently when Diaz pulled this out of his arm, like blood was squirming, The, the story starts to get around. It was so electric of a story that fight lore, which without question is the single greatest thing ever produced in our sport. By the way, whoever does fight lore, good job. They make a fight lore about this because they can't retell the story, but fight lore uses a level of animation. You can't retell the story that I just told with a level of accuracy, without a visual, and you can't get that visual unless you can make a cartoon, unless you can use animation. That's what they did. And there was something about it like that. We'll live in mm, infancy. Infancy, you know the word I'm trying to think of. But guess what? Patty the Batty kind of gave his version of that. Now I got I got to look at this and really break this down. Patty the Batty is in the hospital. We've all known that Patty's hurt. We all know that Patty had to undergo surgery. And had something to do with his ankle. We all know that the UFC was just in England, where they would have liked to have Patty. I I think it should have been Patty versus Justin Gaethje. Gaethje ends up taking on Fitzayev. And it's a big question of why, is Patty not here? Well, there's also a very obvious answer. Patty's hurt, he's undergoing surgery. I've never known how serious I should take that. I mean, even though I heard that Patty was injured, I, I heard that the night that he fought Eddie Gordon, which is seemingly a period of time ago. Like off the top of my head, that was a period of time ago, five months. Patty's in the hospital now, getting the ankle worked on. And I gotta tell you, like, these things just don't add up for me, but they don't have to. It's really not the point I'm going down. I, I, I just will share with you that I knew five months ago he was hurt. It's the same injury, but he's in the hospital now. I don't understand what took so long. Maybe that's a UK thing. I'll tell you what, here, here, here in West Lynn, I got a bad ankle, I go in today. Save that thought. Not, not overly relevant. Patty decides he's going to cut a promo from the hospital bed. Oh, and by the way, I should mention for you, he's still upset about the Gordon fight, which he won. Now, that's a hard thing to do. If you're in Jared Gordon's position and you're trying to, to rectify an injustice, even, even if within your mind, if you want a rematch, if you want people to keep talking about it, if you want this to live on, it's going to be a very hard thing to do five months later. It's you, like there's an art to what you're doing. Jared Gordon has moved on. Jared Gordon, to put in perspective for you, is scheduled to take on Bobby Green on April 22nd, which is roughly a month from now. Point being, Jared Gordon's mind is somewhere else. He has moved on. Well, not so fast. Apparently, in the build-up to the Bobby Green fight, Jared is still talking about Patty. Patty's in a hospital bed and has decided to respond to Jared. Now there's a lot happening here. You guys have heard the expression, a picture is worth a thousand words. Sure it is. So, and I got to start with this. Of all the things that I see in this video, okay, if you—I want you guys to picture. Patty's in the hospital. Patty's on the bed. He's even—he's got the bracelet—you know, the bracelet that they give you? But that's—that's a real thing. Like, you—you could manufacture a lot of a hospital scene. Hollywood does it all the time. They don't manufacture the bracelet. It's like a little added detail. He's got the bracelet on. Now, with his free hand, for reasons—reasons unknown to me, he's given himself what the kids call a titty twister. I, i don't know what that's about. And he's in a gown, and he's cutting a promo, and he's, and he's saying things at Jared Gordon. What else I see, guys, it's very, you want to know I told you he's doing the titty twister, and want to know I told you he had the thing on his, because I'm telling you I can see his hands. That's, that's what I'm trying to illustrate for you guys. I can see his hands, which means somebody else is holding the camera, which means when Patty is possibly on a pain medication, possibly on an anesthesia, Definitely not the best version of himself if he's in the hospital, but I think we could just take a leap of faith to imagine that. Somebody brought in a camera and thought, this is a good time to document something. Fair enough. And essentially, he's very mad at Gordon. He says, I hope you see this. You're effing dog. At my worst, you couldn't beat me. At your best, you couldn't beat me. I was injured. Everything was going wrong, and you still couldn't beat me. I beat you on your best night, because you're a little bum. The end. Now, that's a hot take. That is as hot of a take as you're going to get at a very real moment. I'm just wondering, what should we make of it? I mean, do you guys want to see these guys fight again? Do they need to fight again? I had my own opinion. I could have I had that fight. Thirty twenty seven for Patty. I really could have. But I could have had it. Thirty twenty seven for Gordon as well. And I, and I don't usually do that. I admit for you guys, I'm not the right one to turn to for judging. But I know the sport. I know what I'm looking at. I know when you have a live audience of 15,000 people that, that their reaction is a very good indicator. I mean, right? That's your smallest focus group that you got right there. That's an indicator of the community and the world at large. I didn't think it was as controversial as many people did. And the mere fact that Jared is able to move on and move into a big fight, going over to the Apex, going against uh, Bobby Green, the the mere fact that we're still all eyes on Patty the Batty. I feel as though everybody's done what they were supposed to do, and I feel as though everybody gained here. And that doesn't always happen, right? This sport is very cutthroat. For both guys to gain, it's a massive win. It's something that should be celebrated. But if you go and you do the rematch, right, you want to know somebody that didn't want to see. I'll give you guys a great example. You want to know one person that did not want to see Forrest Griffin, Stefan Bonner part two, me, me. I didn't want resolution. I didn't want it cleared up. I liked that it was murky. I liked that both guys were given their due. Both guys were recognized. Both guys lived and shared this wonderful moment. Both guys were given contracts, right? I mean, I, I I could go on and on. I didn't want resolution. I didn't want to know for sure when we talk about this and we look back, that guy is better. I didn't want that. So, Gordon versus Patty is a very unique situation where both guys won in terms of stock and name recognition being elevated. But they believe they need to go out and do a rematch, and maybe they're right. I just want to turn it over to you and get your opinion, should they fight again? Craig Jones came to town. Craig Jones, by the way, is starting a podcast to go along with his YouTube page. I want you guys to all uh, check him out. Go over there. Show him support. Tell him old Chael sent you. We're sitting there visiting. And Craig, who I believe to be the greatest grappler alive, and even if you're having a debate on that topic, he's going to be one of the guys you're going to be discussing. Craig has been working with some of the top MMA fighters. So I asked him a little bit about that. I asked him. Craig's from Australia. I asked him about working with... Robert Whitaker. I ask him more specifically about working with Volkanovsky. For you people that follow grappling, and when Craig has a cameo, knew who that was. There was a moment in the Islam Volkanovsky fight. It's over. It appears. Right? This, this is when Bruce Buffer's getting in the ring to make the announcement, Dana's got the belt, going to put it around somebody's waist. In, in, that, in that moment, it appears that Islam goes to Craig Jones, the grappling coach of Volkanovski, and asks him a question about a choke. So I asked Craig about that. I said, it looked like Islam asked you a question. Did he? Craig corrected me and said, no, he didn't ask me a question. He was heckling me. He told me, your boy needs to learn how to finish a choke. And so Craig corrected him back and said, well, you had his back and you couldn't make him tap. Maybe you need to learn how to do the joke. It was something along these lines, but I just want want you to understand how close Craig was. So when he shares the next bit of news, which is their backstage, is after the the show in Perth has concluded. The five-round fight is much closer than people thought. A little bit of controversy. The whole world felt like they got their money's worth. What a great battle. And in that moment of emotion, Craig said everything was cool backstage. Everybody was happy. And it was at that moment that the text came in about the nurse and the IV. So Craig said this spread around Volkanovsky's team instantly and all of a sudden the mood changed. All of a sudden their team wasn't as friendly with Islam's team but they didn't tell Islam's team why. Just all of a sudden the mood changes. Craig tells me that coincidentally it turned out to be Dan Hooker's birthday. So everybody went out to celebrate Dan Hooker's birthday, and through the course of celebration, Hooker decided against staying quiet about it and brought this to the world. Now, I moreover am attempting to go back and relive that topic with you because it went away as quickly as it came. And that was a little bit of a surprise, right? I mean, if you've got something and you're going to bring it forward, it's generally because you want resolve. You want a level of adjudication, whatever that might be, in the public's mind or something more official. But we never got to that point. We got a little speculation. We got me talking about it just a little bit. get got Errol Hawani talking about it just a little bit. And we moved on. But somewhere in the course of moving on, it was stated... That if Volkanovski is to beat Yuri Rodriguez and Islam is to win his next match, which has not even been set yet, that the rematch between those two will happen. Okay, that's interesting. That might seem small to you guys, but that's very interesting. Who else out there has a promise? Who else out there has ever had a promise? Who else out there has any level of indication of if I go and do this, what happens next? I mean, it, it creates for a very precarious spot. It's why you don't do such things like that. If you're a 145 pounder, you have to be cheering for Yuri Rodriguez. If Rodriguez does not beat Volkanovsky, your division is getting the brakes put on it again so that your champion can leave the division and go pursue. I mean, do you see where this starts to become a problem? You see where, we're revealing too much information ends up having a negative effect. If you're a 55 pounder and you're trying to get number one contenders match, you're trying to line, but you know that your champion is about to go business with this guy that he's already fought. Do you, do you understand where? Announcing these things aren't always helpful. But it got announced nonetheless. And there wasn't a follow up on it. And having that information from Craig and knowing that that whole thing died down and knowing that a rematch is a possibility is a great way to solve things. Because in a matter like this, you have to have what's called standing. It's, it's a very important legal term. Let me give you guys an example. You look out your window. Some guy backs into your neighbor's car and pulls away. You cannot go sue the guy for hit and run. Even if you can prove that he did it, it wasn't your car. You don't have standing in the matter. The neighbor would have to sue him for hit and run. Do you understand this? So even though we have a whole bunch of rules, and even though the hydration clause and the IV, you, somebody with standing would have to come forward, and ask for that rule to be looked at in a specific situation. Or you could get in front of that whole thing and make a different arrangement. And I do think that it's an interesting one. I mean, not for nothing, I think that it's very interesting. Who would have authority? You've got Usada, of course. You would have the unified body of MMA, of course. I believe to supersede both of them would be the Australia Commission because that's who had jurisdiction. That's what I believe. And the Australian Commission has a rule in place that you cannot use an IV for he, uh, rehydration, period. No IV for rehydration, according to some of you. I know that that was the intent. It says very specifically, you cannot use uh, IV for rehydration. Does it? It was intended to, I will admit. Is that what it says? I don't think so. I don't. It says right in the rule why you can't use it. You can't use it to replenish. You can't use it after a weight cut. You can't use it to to replenish liquids post-weight cut prior to the fight. I get all of those things. It was intended to be a rehydration clause. What if I have a doctor that comes in and says from a psychological benefit, I need that. I could take it right there. Boom, I'm I'm out of your definition. Even though your intent was to stop me from doing it, I could still do it post-weigh and pre-fight if I had a different reason and I had somebody with some cute little initials next to his name backing me up. In addition to that, if you were to go down to the USADA, you, you can use 10 milliliters. It used to be 30. I believe they changed it to 10. Don't, don't think you have to correct me on this. There's nothing that says that I couldn't pull it out and then do the other arm for another 10. And when I'm done with that, pull it out and go back in for, for another 10. There's nothing in there that says you can have 10 in X amount of time. It says that you can have 10 at a time. It, like many of the rules, is very poorly written. And when you go in and you test those rules, it puts a spotlight and you show how poorly written your rules are. Or you have somebody else who's like, look, let's just get in front of this thing. It's getting some credibility. I really don't need the world to see in the form of an arbitrator how poorly these rules are written, and how weakly they can be enforced, so let's get somebody withstanding to just pump the brakes right now. Is that what happened here? There's no other matches promised for anybody else. There was no other controversy out there for anybody else the time would have elapsed. I, I mean, certainly there, there, there has to be a time restraint put on when you could file an appeal in relation to when the action happened. It's an interesting, it's an interesting story. I appreciated that Craig shared that. I've always liked Dan Hooker. I like him even more now. I like him even He backed this guy up. Might have taken a couple cocktails and he had to go a little bit rogue, but he's still got a story out there and the story is very relevant. Whether it happened or whether it didn't happen, I don't think that Islam did anything wrong, but you could sure make it look like he did, and you could sure leverage that into something. And in this case, even if done very quietly, my guess is they did. All right, everybody, that is it for today's program. Thank you for listening, and remember, if you want to support me or the show, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also subscribe to my YouTube channel or give me a follow on social media. I'm going to be back for more MMA analysis on Friday. Until then, I'm Chail Sonnen, and you are welcome.